Seek would like to start this episode by acknowledging Australia's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities and their rich culture, and pay respect to their elders past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. Seek recorded this episode from Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung Country. So many workplaces have great intent to promote diversity and provide inclusive environments. But how can leaders ensure that this intent has been delivered on? Diversity Council Australia began more than 30 years ago and is today focused on research-led work that helps organisations improve their capability in diversity and inclusion. If you do this well, the benefits to your organisation are massive, but you have to do it well and that includes not being naive. We speak to Diversity Council Australia CEO Lisa Arnesi, who offers advice on how businesses can provide a truly inclusive workplace, research findings that can help shape a better approach, and the crucial role identity plays in inclusion and diversity. How do you define today diversity, equity and inclusion? Well, diversity really is about all the things, all the aspects of our identity and in the labour market that includes our social identity and our professional identity, all of those things that make us different to each other. So in terms of social identity, it's really looking at things like our gender, our age, our whether we're LGBTIQ+, whether we have a disability, you know, our racial or cultural background, areas that are protected by law in many cases. And other aspects of social identity might include things like our caring status and might include the way in which we work, so whether we're part-time or full-time workers. And then you have to overlay that with um, aspects of professional identity. So your profession, your education, your job, or your position within an organisation, because those things matter Mm. in terms of how people interrelate with one another. And what's important to know is that everyone has various subsets to their identity and they intersect. So we all have a gender and a culture and an age and all of those things. Um, So this is not about other people, it's about us. And we all have these intersectional identities, which is why it's actually a complex area to work in. Because if you, for example, treated all women as the same, you would default to the majority or dominant group within the gender category. An intersectional approach is important because, of course, strategies to improve equity for women in workplaces have to be different if you're talking about First Nations women or women with disabilities. So Mm. those things matter. In terms of the word equity, equity for me just means access to opportunity and potentially equity of outcome. Opportunity is a, a focus area, but it's also important to examine outcomes. So making sure that there is no gender pay gap, for example, or that people are in the workplace and those workplaces are respectful and so therefore they're not subjected to harassment and discrimination. Mm. So inclusion is about how you make all of this work in the workplace because it's complex and diversity actually is not simple and neither is it necessarily feel good. A lot There's an illusion that this stuff is easy to do and it's all about everyone feeling great. It's actually really complex. And the more diverse identities you have in a workplace, even though that's really important in terms of innovation and more effective decision-making, it is more complex because you'll all of a sudden have people who think differently, might behave differently, and you could get conflict. And it takes certain skills to be able to do that. So the inclusion Mm. is how do you make that work? Yeah. 
been at many conferences, many conversations around uh, diversity and inclusion, those two terms being together. Equity hasn't been in that conversation as long. Has equity become, uh, is that a more recent focus in the work that you're looking at and the research that you're looking at? Well, I think equity is something, it's your overall goal for why diversity and inclusion is important. From my perspective, diversity and inclusion is important because we want to have economies and societies where there's equity between individuals that is not based on things that are irrelevant and where simply by virtue of your, your identity, you're not inadvertently excluded or you receive less opportunity. So yeah. equity is the ultimate goal. Mm. Um, equity or equality depend. You know, people. These words have meanings that are used differently by different individuals. What does it mean then for an individual on an individual level for someone to experience inclusion? What does that look or feel like? Our research, where we actually set about defining what does inclusion look like, what we noted was that whilst belonging or feeling part of something is important at work, and it's certainly one of the aspects of inclusion. Inclusion is actually about a person feeling like they're in a workplace that is respectful, Mm -hmm. where they're able to be humanly connected to other people, but also where they have opportunities for progress and development and where the work that they do adds value or contributes. So you've got to have the four pillars in there, the respect, connection, progress, and contribution. Because otherwise, all of those activities that are designed to help in the belonging space, there's no point doing that if when a woman goes on parental leave and returns back, she can no longer have a meaningful career in an organisation because she has to work in a flexible way because she's the primary care of children. That is not an inclusive, that is no longer an inclusive environment for her. It doesn't matter how many tokens of belonging the organisation focuses on. So it's important, but it's in and of itself not enough. Belonging is actually about really good HR. I really loathe the term bring your whole self to work. There's this belief, especially in the um, sexual harassment space, over time, society would change enough that sexual harassment would become a thing of the past because younger men and women would enter the workforce and they have a much more equal sense of their roles with each other and the role of women sort of in workplaces. But actually, the statistics are not changing. And the reason they're not changing is because one of the concerning reasons is that there are really disturbing attitudes, especially with young men around things like consent, things that are being shaped outside the workplace that Mm. then have an impact on behaviours in the workplace. So you might have someone who's got deeply concerning attitudes about consent towards women. We're talking about significant groups of men. If the data shows that these are not insignificant statistics, that they're Mm. into the one in five men category and younger men. So do you want those young men bringing those attitudes into the workplace? No, you don't. What you want is for them to park them at the door and to adopt the values of the organisation, which is around respectful workplace behaviours. Now, that's not to say people should hide who they are. People certainly need to be authentic about their identity. So, no one wants, well, I certainly don't want people to stay closeted if they want to be open about their sexuality. Mm. But that's different to bringing in problematic attitudes. So, you need to be aware that if you start talking about, we want to be a place where everyone can be who they are, bring their whole self to work, you might be inviting a whole lot of trouble. 
So we, we want people to bring their better self to work, right? Their, be- their self <laughs> that aligns with the expectations that the organisation has. To further complicate that is this idea that all diversity dimensions, they don't conflict and they sometimes conflict. So sometimes the expression of someone's religious faith mm. might put them at odds with the someone's trans identity yeah, and okay. that could clash in a workplace. So yeah. you need to know how to navigate that as a a manager and so therefore it's important not to be naive about diversity to recognize that if you do this well the benefits to your organization are massive but you have to do it well and that includes not being naive and not using pop psychology to dictate the way you do it to using real science to inform your approach so that you can be accurate and skillful at it identity How does identity play a factor when we're looking at inclusion? And the second part to that question, maybe how can leaders consider people's identity as well? Well, identity is critical because uh, we opened this conversation by looking at what is diversity and diversity Mm. is made up of aspects of an individual's identity. So that is absolutely how we see ourselves. The way we see ourselves and the way other people see us might be at odds. But, yes, it all starts with identity. For workplaces, what that means is that if you become aware of people's identities, it helps explain the whole person to you. And it means that you stop relying on stereotypes and assumptions that could be wrong Mm. about particular groups of people. So if you take an identity approach and rather than just assuming, oh, well, anyone who presents this way to me is going to have these attributes, Having an identity approach and working on how to create an environment where people can relate to each other respectfully is really critical in, in facilitating appropriate engagement between people because we all have very different lived experiences. Identity is key and we could learn a lot from each other and certainly it improves our decision making if we tap into the different lived experiences that people have. If leaders want to get to know people, and I recommend that if you're managing people, you should treat them as human beings, not as numbers. You do need an identity lens on people because it can help provide context around behaviour. It can also help provide context around performance. I mean, if you observe that someone was dipping in performance, then instead of going straight into performance management mode and potentially managing someone out of the organisation who's really great value, if you had an awareness of their identity, you might know that they are struggling, for example, with something in there. They're going through a divorce. They're struggling with insomnia. You know, there could be something happening in their lives. The trick is for individual managers and leaders to do this in a way that is respectful and non-intrusive. And some people are really good at it and some people are really bad at it. So therefore, organisations need to make an investment into people management as a skill and not just assume that everybody could do it. Just because we're all people, it doesn't mean we can all do people management and some people are natural and other people are not good at it at all. And they need support. And there's lots of places you can go to for support on how to have critical conversations with people, how to get to know your team. So I suggest that organizations invest in that because it's really valuable because at the end of the day organizations even if it's a manufacturing organization or a mining company it's all about people in the end and if you get that right 
I'll tell you what, you're going to be a really formidable organisation. What are some of the most effective components then of an inclusive mindset and an inclusive workplace? Well, an inclusive workplace is a workplace that focuses Mm -hmm. on proactively creating workplaces of respect, proactively ensuring that people are able to form genuine human connections with each other and that so therefore that managers are effective and very good people managers that work on the idea that people need opportunities to progress or develop their skills and that also work on meaningful work. So someone returning from parental leave, don't give them the mm. don't don't put them into a, a part-time work trench where where they're just doing stuff that no one else wants to do. Meaningful careers. Those four things need to be in place, but then you need to take an evidence framework around how you implement change in this space. And that is all around making sure that whatever you do, you have an end goal of what is the business need that we're trying to address. How do we build the capability of the key stakeholders in the organization and design initiatives that will deliver that? And what is our implementation strategy? Are we resourcing it adequately? Are we communicating appropriately? And then do we continue to evaluate? And the measurement as well. How do organizations or good organizations set about actually measuring if it it is a transformational change piece? How do they set about measuring what they're putting in place? And how often should that cadence be? How often should they be measuring that? It depends on what the organization is trying to achieve. And that all should be part of any design process. So to do work in this space, I recommend that organizations have focus areas and that they don't try and do a little bit here, a bit there, a bit there, and have a piecemeal approach, but they're ticking a box in every category. It's much better that you focus and go deeper with a couple of priority areas, and that way you can design them properly. But in terms of how you measure success, you need to know what success, you need to define before you start, what would success look like? in this space? What is the change I'm seeking to create? Because if you can't answer that question, then you have to query why you're doing stuff in that space. Well, you should be able to answer that question. So, if you know what success would look like, then you've got to work out, well, how do I measure when I achieve it? How do I measure the milestones of getting there? And what are the different markers? So, for example, we, I'm going back to the gender space, probably because mm. that's where most people have had success because they've been working on it for the longest. You can do any sort of activity in the gender equality space. You can focus on respectful workplaces, and indeed you should. Um, You can focus on um, getting more women into leadership. You can focus on mainstreamed flexible careers. You can focus on policy frameworks for parents and carers. You can focus on closing the gender pay gap. You can focus on women in non-traditional roles. You can focus on engaging men and the role that men have in this and what the issues are for them. Any of those areas, you'd be able to define what would success look like, and then you would work backwards. So if we look broadly at diversity, equity, inclusion, and the evolution, say, over the last decade in Australian workplaces, what has happened, I guess, yeah, broadly in Australia when we're looking at DE and I, and how has that evolved, say, in the last 10 years in Australian workplaces? And what do you think the key opportunities for further growth are? So probably the biggest change has been a shift from just focusing on women to Mm -hmm. focusing on more broadly other areas, Um, even though not a whole lot of traction has been achieved, but certainly a lot of leading practice organisations now have a lens that's a bit wider than just gender. 
And so they're looking at other aspects of an individual's identity. And that might be governed by what industry they work in, what pressure they're receiving from their stakeholders, clients or shareholders. Or it could be driven by a personal drive by the CEO. They might be passionate about disability because there's, they've got a personal story there. I have seen a shift towards not having to constantly re-articulate the business case when it comes to gender equality anymore. Mm -hmm. In leading practice organisations, that is now assumed. Um, Not in all organisations, but in leading practice organisations, it certainly has. But also, I think that there is an expectation that because community standards have shifted so significantly in the last 10 to 20 years, What a respectful workplace, for example, in 2021 looks like is very different to what it looked like when the Sex Discrimination Act got passed in 1984. So, with the shifting community standards, there's a higher bar for what what that might mean in workplaces. In terms of delivering equity and inclusion in Australian workplaces, has the pandemic, has it halted progress? Has it been beneficial in any ways? What have you observed in terms of um, equity and inclusion in the workplaces in this COVID times? I think it's been a mixed bag. On the positives, there have been organisations who never thought they could work in a way that was different to the way they currently worked. And then overnight, everyone, because we were enabled by technology, was able to do remote working. Mm. And so that was huge for some people, especially people who've been banging on about it for ages. But also we heard from people who had disabilities and and people who were introverted who said, oh, finally, um, we're working in a way (laughs) that we're able to do our best work and we're able to fully contribute in the workplace. We also noticed that remote working minimised power and influence from particular individuals in certain workplaces. So, because all of a sudden physical size or a booming voice might be taken out of a meeting room where otherwise one or two individuals might be able to dominate that, you all of a sudden have equal boxes on the screen and that created more of a level playing field for some team meetings. Mm. There were other benefits around the focus on agility and the focus that workplaces put into how do we artificially create those corridor conversations that we're now missing out on. And so therefore, if we now know how to engage with each other in a different way, is that that might be improving our relationships. On the downside, we found that remote working, if it's not done well, can be diabolical for people, Mm -hmm. um, especially if they are not being managed properly and you have someone who doesn't have the skills in terms of how to do it. A lot of people think remote working is flexible working and flexibility is much more complicated than that. It's about not just where you work, but it's how you work. It's the times you work. It's how you design yeah. Um, and so there's this simplistic approach, which is problematic. Workplaces are not safe for everyone at home. Mm. And so individuals who might have experiences of family and domestic violence were in more threatening situations. And we had some of our members keep their offices open. I had a couple of our members actually create fake projects so that people who were experiencing domestic and family violence could say they were part of an essential project, which enabled them to go into the office. Wow. People who had mental health issues, again, double-edged sword, there was, on one hand, people who felt, wow, there's all this empathy that people now have with what it's like to struggle with your mental health. But on the other hand, much more heightened levels of mental health problems with people that they were struggling with. 
And then there was the inequity with um, housework and childcare, especially homeschooling, which was the burden of it. Even when men and women in heterosexual relationships were both at home, women were still doing the majority of that. And actually, there's a fear now that in return to the office, that many more men are going to return to the office than women, and that will exacerbate that inequity. We know what that inequity has a couple of problems. Firstly, it keeps women out of fully participating in the workforce and progressing their careers, but also it keeps men away from their families and their homes mm. and it contributes to poor mental health outcomes and poor relationships for them. So you've been very generous with your time today. We always like to finish our podcast with a little bit of advice for our audience and our audience are made up of of a range of different organisations, some small, some really big, but a lot of them will be listening to this and perhaps they're a fair way down their journey for um, diversity, equity, inclusion, perhaps they're just starting. But what are some of the ways that they can get started to create an inclusive and considerate workplace and then also measure it? What are some of the best tactics and advice um, that you would give organisations to start with? I think that the best way to start in this space is to try and work out why this is important to you. Organisations will be pushed in different directions. It's not good enough to want to do this just because everybody else is doing it and so we think we should. Work out what that means for you. So if you think, oh, you know, we really want to do something in shared care parental leave, Why? What would that Mm. mean for your workplace? What would that mean for your staff? And how would that help you function better as a business? Because if you do, if you ask those questions and you can answer them, A, you're able to deal with any backlash easily because you understand it in business terms, but it also helps map out how you're going to go, what you're going to start to do to try and become more diverse and inclusive. I think that's a start is to try and work out why. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of measuring, I would I think it's really important to try and work out where you are now and where you want to be. Well, thanks for joining us for this remote episode. For more ideas and discussions on the world of work and all things recruitment and HR, stay tuned for upcoming episodes of Seek Talent Talks.